calling all denizens of the dark, mavens of mayhem, and champions of chaos. Lock your doors and listen close. It's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. I am Terrence McCauley, and this is Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Today I have Damian Lewis with me. He is the author of Agent Josephine, an incredibly interesting book about Josephine Baker and her time as both a spy and entertainer for the Allies in occupied France back in World War II. Damian is an award-winning writer who spent 20 years as a reporter for the BBC. He is the best-selling author of more than 20 books on military history, thrillers, and even the fascinating topic of military working dogs. Um, hopefully we'll be able to talk about a little bit of that today. I know a lot of you are pet lovers as I am. Um, he lives in Dorchester, England. Damien, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure as always, thank you. Uh, I was just wondering how you came up with the idea to write a book about this fascinating topic of Josephine Baker. Yeah, so maybe, you know, 10 years ago, maybe even slightly longer, um, I just came across a snippet, uh, you know, in the news about Josephine Baker being a spy during the war. Uh, and it struck me as being incredible. That could have been the case because obviously she was the most photographed woman prior to the war, a true global superstar, instantly recognizable. You know, this standout star of stage, screen, um, dancer, singer extraordinaire. So I thought, how on earth? Did a lady like that serve as an agent of the shadows? And that was the kind of start of the journey into Josephine Baker's war. That's fantastic. Um, wh where did you start your research? Did you start it um, with biographies that you had seen on maybe something you'd seen on TV or that you had read? Yeah, I mean, I started with like what's available open source. There's lots of biographies of Josephine Baker. I mean, many have mm -hmm. been written. Um, almost nothing about the war. It was extraordinary, you know, and people didn't know about it. You talked about Josephine Baker and they'd say, uh, yeah, the dancer and the singer. And people just were almost unaware that she had this standout secret role during the war for the Allies. So at that stage, you've got to dig deeper. You've got to like go back to the source material. And, um, you know, I, I, I found some accounts written in French by those who served alongside her, which okay. were hugely useful, um, you know, and then deeper still, one had to start going to, you know, private family archives, private government archives. And, um, you know, I'll just give you an example. You know, one of the, the amazing um, pieces of serendipity would brought priceless material to me. Um, her handler in, 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 in London during during large chunk of the war was a secret intelligence service agent, standout legendary figure to this day called Commander uh, Wilfred Biffy Dunderdale and um, his private papers. So all of his, the archive, all his private archive of all his life and career are right. held by a guy called Paul Biddle who lives in the States. And he reached out to me when I was researching the book. I don't know how he heard I was doing it and said, um, I hold Dunderdale's lifetime archive. Would you like to have access to it? And I was like, please. Oh. And he sent it, copied it and sent it all over. And you know, that's, that's just that the, that's priceless that's gold dust i mean that opened up that opened up the the story of the man who 
who handled Josephine Baker, who directed, who took the intelligence from her, sent her off on missions, um, you know, extraordinary. And, and then lastly, you know, real milestone in this epic journey and one that um, the French government need to be given real credit for. Uh, just less than two years ago, they opened a, a big chunk of wartime files about this, this, the work of their secret intelligence services. And that oh, includes okay. Josephine, Josephine Baker and uh, her, her wartime um, intelligence handler, a guy called Jack Abte, um, Captain Jack Abte. And that material was, I mean, that was absolutely essential because that was, you know, absolutely the files from the time. You can't argue with that material. It's incontrovertible. That's it written down as it happened. Wow, those are primary so sources. I mean, that are that are just fantastic for any yeah. writer, and especially yeah. somebody like you. I I would imagine that your journalism background really helped you uh, get as much of the out of this material as possible. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, you know, it's a strange thing. This book was it was much a detective story as anything else for me. Okay, because as you'll appreciate right france during the war america wasn't invaded britain wasn't invaded we weren't occupied france was you know sadly and suffered greatly and because of the occupation that pitted french man against french man village against village you know brother against brother father against son it was it was a horrendous collaborator against resistance fighter against spy and those sensitivities and those grievances run through to this day and what that means is when people wrote their histories of what they did in the war, often very secret operations, often on the boundaries, pushing the boundaries of what is legal and acceptable, you know, mm -hmm. you, you, using the devil to, to, to defeat the Nazis if you had to. Um, so often these accounts were written with hidden agendas. Right. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So, 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 so Jacques Abte and Josephine, they were intelligence partners throughout the war. They would work with anyone. To defeat the nazis that's assassins forgers uh the mafia um and they did so okay and you can understand why they that this was the fight for the survival of civilization and freedom but right that's okay during war but once the war's over and we're back in peace it's like you did these operations and they were like you could argue highly illegal and you didn't really have any blessing from on high because you were like freelance agents out there on the front line of gathering information and intelligence. Right. And that starts to become questionable. So you can't tell those stories. You can't tell them in full, or if you do tell them, you have to kind of portray them as if it was someone else really in charge. You get my drift? Right, yes, yeah. So, to, spread so all, the blame. to spread the blame. So all of that, you had to unpick it and sift it. And it was like a detective story to try and get to the, the real kernel and thread of the truth. Right, I would imagine it was. It's like they say, history's always kindest to those who write it. So, uh, yeah, and I would absolutely. imagine th this is no exception. I mean, yeah. what a dynamic time about uh, to to write about. What were one some of the things that surprised you that you might not have already known about what happened besides Josephine Baker's involvement? Were there other things about that time in in history that you learned during your research that surprised you or stuck out in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you one thing that really, really struck me hard was, and this is kind of hard to understand, but, you know, we weren't there at the time. So before the outbreak of the war, okay, the British and French intelligence services were working hand in glove, very, very closely. Dunderdale was the Paris spymaster, working really closely with the Dizian Bureau, the French counter-espionage service, trying, okay. to, trying to defeat the flood of German agents being sent in by Hitler. And they knew 
that war was coming. They knew that Nazi Germany was going to invade. They knew the Blitzkrieg was coming, the lightning war, and they right. knew that France would fall. They knew that the French defensive idea of the Maginot Line, it, it was outmoded, it was out of date, and France would fall. And so they they they, they desperately tried to warn their, their, their political taskmasters, those in charge, and no one would listen because, it, you know, the bruising hangover of the First World War, you know, millions of deaths. No one wanted to countenance another war with the German enemy. And so right. it was left up to you know, kind of visionary individuals like Josephine when she was recruited by the intelligence service to to kind of cobble together an idea of resistance, a plan of resistance for when France fell, what will we do? So, for example, the idea that Josephine would take, um, you know, the reams of intelligence, the French intelligence service, once France fell, gathered secretly as an underground service, the idea that Josephine would be the conduit to take that to London, which is what she did, because she could still travel, she was a superstar, that was right. dreamt up. That was dreamt up before Nazi Germany invaded. So, wow. you know, you you had this. You had this like two track reality. You had the reality that the Allied governments were were, were pumping out, which was appeasement. You know, Hitler's not really going to do any of this stuff. And the reality right. of, what, of what the intelligence services knew, which was very very different, and that was shocking. And the other thing that I guess really, um, yeah, it was a shocker for me. You know, in 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 and I'm sure it would be for a lot of people, was not just how quickly France fell, but how... I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Days after the defeat of Allied forces in France, so we're talking June 1940, you know, the Dunkirk's just happened, Churchill's just come to power, OK? Churchill right. held a meeting with his intelligence chiefs, and he said, we do not have one agent, one source, one wireless contact. We have no visibility in France. France has gone dark. We've got nothing. We've got Operation Sea Line about to happen, the evasion fleet massing to invade Britain. We've got the Battle of Britain about to commence. We've got the Blitz on the horizon, you know, the right. German bombers attacking London and all the major cities. We have no intelligence to counter any of this. Get me agents, get me intelligence back back from France. And so, you know, um, that that moment... And 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 it lasted quite a long time. It was really really dark for Great Britain, as we know. But we were blinded. We'd had our eyes poked out, and that's how incredibly serious it was. And that's why the kind of operations that Josephine and Jacques Abte undertook and, and their and their comrades were absolutely crucial because they re-established that intelligence pipeline between an underground French intelligence service and a Britain which was, you know, down but not quite out. You know, the last dog in the fight. At that right. time. Right. Yeah. And that's a story that doesn't get told very often. No. A lot of people think all of this was a plan. All of this was uh, everybody jailed together at the right time, but they don't really understand or appreciate the way events unfolded. Um, and, and something you just said really struck me, which, which is that World War One was a, a constant shadow over people in the days before World War Two. A lot of people today don't understand why they didn't just see Hitler as the threat he was. They saw it, but doing something about it was completely different. And um, I, did you, do you mention much about World War I in this book and how it played in the psyche of everybody who was involved? Not necessarily um, you know, Josephine herself, but the, her handlers and the, and the organization she worked for. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I don't think most people are aware of, and I certainly wasn't aware of it, was the sophistication and complexity and sheer volume 
of Berlin's propaganda prior to the war. It's amazing. So what they were doing is they're pumping, you know, all the countries they're poised to invade, they're pumping them full of information. This is in the newspapers, any and any conduit outlet they could find. They were pumping in the message that we come in peace. Of course, we have no intention of invading Western Europe. Our only aim is to counter the Soviet communist threat from the East. You should be our allies and you should be supporting us. So that was the message they were pumping out, which played pretty well to a lot of people, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And all the time, of course, they were massing their forces to invade Poland and then invade Western Europe, you know, with the Blitzkrieg, the Lightning War. And it, it, and it proved mightily successful. It proved so successful in France that and and and, and uh, the Low Countries as well. Actually, it proved so successful. That's why the intelligence services concluded that we will lose. We will lose the coming battles because the people do not have the will to fight because they've been blinded by all of this, all these lies, and our political taskmasters do not have the acumen or or, or the strength of character to actually rally them to resist the threat. And so when it when they come, they will come fast, and we will fall. Right, exactly right. Yeah, and it was uh, it's especially brave of Josephine to do what she did because she was in that environment that still had a memory of what World War One was. And she knew what the stakes were. I mean, she wasn't a trained spy, obviously, until she rose to the occasion. But that's a really brave thing to be able to do. Did uh, how how did she handle the stresses of of being a, a celebrity and also doing what she did for the uh, allies yeah it's a great question very perceptive you know um that's one of the things that really drew me into this story and, and you'll be amazed by this i'm sure because i was right josephine um she used her stardom as her cloak and a dagger that's all she ever did she hid in plain sight she was josephine baker the superstar and that's how she got through all the gestapo checkpoints and all the customs checkpoints and all the rest of it with her tour trunk stuff stuff full of priceless intelligence she just wowed them with her stardom and you know she, she, she breezed through but of course every single time she did that you can imagine the stress levels involved unbelievable and when the dizian bureau the french counter espionage service recruited her reluctantly because they thought you know females don't make good spies and all the normal tropes people roll out or rolled right. out at that time when they recruited her they feared she would be one of those shallow showbiz personalities who would shatter like glass at the first hint of danger right. well quite quite the reverse was true to such an extent and this is what really struck me about her story so she was surrounded in the war by these these seasoned agents Jacabte, colonel paul pelol other operators and all of them all of those individuals at some stage lost heart. They all at some stage believed the war was lost. And you can understand why, because up until 1943, it pretty much looked that way, that we, you know, the Allies had been defeated. OK, um, Josephine never did, not for one moment. And you know what she always said? She always said to any of them when they doubted, she said, you don't know America. America will join this war. And when America joins this war, you do not know the American people and we will win. That she was adamant you know, in, in, in that conviction and right until, you know, America joined the war and, and the fortunes turned. So she was an absolute believer and she was undaunted. But yeah, that, that amazed me when I, I, I read this one. And it was especially, it was, it was especially striking because, you know, the, the Germans were, <laughs> they were pro-Aryan. And the fact that they 
um, a, that a, an African-American singer was able to do as much as she did in that environment is just astounding. And yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, did the Germans ever, I, I know that you said that she had a check, past checkpoints so and she used her celebrity, but did the Germans ever make note of, of her, um, you know, of her race, of, of her ethnicity, being an American? Yeah, did they sure. still trust I mean, her despite all that? No, no, no. I mean, even prior to the war, you know, not only has she come to Hitler's attention personally, but Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister, the Nazi propaganda minister, had issued a pamphlet with her on the front, you know, as these are the enemies of the Nazi state. Now, she was identified as a standout opposer of Nazism and an advocate of democratic freedom. But and this is the this is the thing that's this is the strange. This is the strange lure of superstardom. I don't know if you if if you you you're like that. I'm not particularly like that, but so many people no. are. They're bowled over by superstars, and every single time that she um she steps into the fray, she moves into one of these really sinister situations. She just manages to 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 take them by storm. I'll give you an example. You know, she, when Paris fell in June 1940, she retreated to her chateau in in the Dordogne, Chateau de Milan. Okay, so in rural France. All right, and from there she 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 gathered weapons. They had a wireless in the tower. She was pulling her resistance cells together, and then Jacques Capté turned up with this mission to take the intelligence to London to build that pipeline and that bridge. Okay, in the process of doing so, she's denounced by somebody local, and the a colonel of the armistice commission that's the Gislapo, the ss and the other um, bodies involved turns up at the chateau with a load of german troops and they surround it and they start he comes in and says i'm here to search your chateau you've been denounced we know you're running a resistance cell and she just fronts him out with with total calm and iciness and 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 really uh, just this aplomb. She says, "How dare you do this? How dare you even come and invade our country? You're here illegally. You know what? What do you think you're doing in my chateau? What do you think you're even doing? Listening to these turncoats who denounce innocent people like me? And it's that counterattack delivered with such calm and such phlegm. She's literally just evicted from the dining from the library where she meets him. Two agents of the Dizian Bureau who've just turned up with a load of documentation and weapons. They're hiding like in a tower around the corner, but." That's the that's her as an act, actress and a, and, a, and a performer on the stage, and 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 the the colonel from the Amustis Commission he just can't believe that what the people who've betrayed her have said is true because if you really were hiding weapons and agents and documents in a chateau you wouldn't behave like that you wouldn't be in the guy's face, and right. eventually she says look and eventually she says look. Could I have, at least have a cup of coffee? And she said, there's no coffee in this country anymore because you've invaded and, and, and it's fallen apart. If you leave and go back to Germany, maybe then come back and I'll give you one. I mean, she is, it's a delicious scene. So, I mean, that's, I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> communicate how, how she pulled this off because you're absolutely right. It's almost inconceivable. And that's what drew me into the story. That's fantastic. And it's a story that I'm, I'm glad you were able to tell. And, and tell so well what because it reads like a novel I mean it's it's this is phenomenal work um how long was she active as a spy was it throughout the entire um occupation or was there a, a set range for our audience so, she, so she 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 was a spy until kind of I guess mid 44 okay um but 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 from 43 to to right through to the end of the war and even after the war, she played this dual role. So when uh, the Americans and, and, and British and Allied forces, uh, uh, you know, had the torch, Operation Talks landings in North, North Africa um, 
you know, the springboard for the invasion of Europe. In fact, you know, amazingly, the biggest and most complex amphibious operation by the Allies to date at that time in the war, and one that rivaled D-Day in its complexity and planning and everything else. When that happened and American forces landed in North Africa and the American generals were there, they realised almost instantly, Josephine Baker's here and she would be such a, you know, such a morale booster for our troops if she would perform. And so they asked her to perform and they asked her to sign an exclusive contract just to perform for American troops for the rest of the war. And she said, I can't do that because I have to perform for all troops regardless of the nationality, French, British, Polish, Americans, whatever they might be. Of course, I will perform for American troops. But I and the other thing is, I will not get paid. You will never pay me for for, for what I'm doing this war. I'll do it for free. So she Mm -hmm. had this dual role from then on. But even when she was performing and these epic tours across the North African desert, which in themselves are mind blowing achievements. In jeeps right. breaking down, you know, getting surrounded by, you know, hyenas and jackals in the desert. I mean, extraordinary stuff. Even even during that time, she's still gathering intelligence on behalf of the Allies. So it's almost as if that role she embraced, and incidentally, from being the student of Jacques Abte, who's the, obviously her handler, eventually mm-hmm. becoming his master you know because he can't travel he doesn't have the visas he doesn't have the excuse she does and so he's left at home kind of like overseeing things and she's out gathering the intelligence on the coalface it's extraordinary but you know right until the end of the war she carries on that role because she's kind of you know grabbed it gripped it and and she owns it and she makes it her own god this is it's a it's a fantastic story and and one i'm glad for your sake hasn't been told before but for everyone's sake, I'm glad it's been told now. And, and thank, thank you. you for doing that because this really, I, I'm, I'm shocked this hasn't, someone hasn't done this already. This is, this is great. And you, you did it really well. And uh, I, you know, I, I commend you. I really do. This is great stuff. Um, I was wondering what else is on the horizon for you? What's your next topic that you, you're planning on uh, tackling? Yeah, I'm just, just fit, um, finishing, um, I've just finished writing a book about um, the Special Air Service right at the start of, of um, uh, so it's the birth of the, of the Special Air Service in World War II. It's okay. really the birth of modern day special operations. That's what we're talking about, because this is the unit, of course, upon which the SEALs, Delta Force, you know, Rangers, mm-hmm. everything was based on, on the SAS, uh, um, you know, and uh, so it's it's the first 18 months of their operations, the birth of these maverick piratical you know, driven, fearsome, crazy, lateral thinking raiders in the North African desert. And these these characters, you know, just you could not make them up. And bear in mind, look, this is we're not just talking Brits. We're talking Irish. We're talking Americans. There are Americans in the found, who founded the SAS. There are there, are, you know, there are Germans, renegade Germans. I mean, you know, this is a oh. multi-glot you know, multinational force. And and what the one thing that unites them is, it's certainly not language, it's certainly not ethnicity or, or national identity. It's the, it's the driving need to defeat Nazi Germany, to, to deliver to Nazi Germany the first defeat. And, you know, how do they do that? Well, they do that by doing the utterly, utterly unexpected, breaking all the rules and, you know, bringing, bring, bringing the battle home. That's incredible. And it sounds like there was, uh, I, I know there will, probably won't be, but it sounds like there could be a lot of correlation and, and cross story between what Josephine did and the missions that some of these people conducted uh, towards the, uh, throughout the war. So that's going to be a fascinating read. And I know that we're all going to be waiting to see that one. What's the best way people can follow your, your fascinating career? I mean, uh, online, uh, what's your social media handles, your 
well, website address? Yeah, so the website is just my name. It's www.damienlewis.com. Um, right. And uh, I'm author D, author D. Lewis on Twitter. And then I'm Damien Lewis, Damien Lewis writer on Facebook. So just, you know, look me up on those social media. Best place to go first is my website. It's all the links are on there. Um, you know, and, and I'm reasonably active on it. Um, you know, I've got I, lots of people are, you know, able to get updates all the time. So, for example, when your show goes out, we'll put a we'll put we'll put it out on social media. And it's great. It, people love these kind of things, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, this is uh this is my third or fourth episode, so we, uh, we're we glad that we had you on now, and we're glad to have you as an addition to uh, the podcast. This has been great. Brilliant. Great. Thank you very much, Damien. I really appreciate your time yeah, today. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, I am Terrence McCauley, and this has been Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. You can always find out more about me at TerrenceMcCauley.com. Till next time, thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.